Hello all and welcome back to Your Music, Your Business, a podcast helping musicians and industry professionals hear what leaders in their fields are saying about the future of music. Today I'm joined by Jaden, the CEO and founder of Unified Music Group. Welcome Jaden, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks Jazz, it's great to be here. Well, firstly, I really wanted to congratulate you on 10 years of Unified Music Group and 20 years in the music industry. When you started, did you ever envision for yourself that you would be running a company that one day would be one of the largest independent music companies? <laughs> uh, the short answer is no, I definitely did not expect that to happen. Um, I've uh, often reflected on the time from when I started you know, really, uh, when I started Boomtown Records back in 2002, my assumption was that eventually I'd get a real job. Um, but I never believed, never never dreamt that my real job would actually be, you know, running Unified. So I uh, didn't believe it. Uh, still don't in a lot of ways. Still pinch myself. But equally, I'm here and uh, and I'm loving it. That's great. And I, I love that you reflected on I. I um, was expecting to get a real job because that is such the reality of the music industry, isn't it? It's sort of what, almost waiting for the penny to drop sometimes with your career and, and ho hoping that you can get there. But most of the time it's like, oh, maybe I'll have to get a real job sometime soon. Yeah, yeah. And who would have thought that, that this was a real job? And I, still a lot of people uh, have trouble understanding how it is what we do. Um, but it's something that I'm very proud of uh, that our industry is able to support you know music and support artists and support the people in the industry uh it's definitely an industry that's had a lot of challenges and uh and has a long way to go to be uh professionally on the level of many other industries but from a culture and a passion perspective to be able to work with music on a daily basis is you know to me still feels like a dream yeah and so many people are making it their real job and it's, it's, it is a reality. It's just, you're very right. Like we have had to claw our way as an industry to be sort of sitting at the same level of other industries. So there's not as many um, job positions that allow, allow many people to go full-time in it, um, in a sustainable way. And um, I actually wanted to throw that question to you. You like, you do have a sustainable career in the music industry, which is so fantastic to see. And, and it's, you're probably going above and beyond um, what any of um, any of us ever expected. And it's really great to see you be a leader in the music industry. What are the best lessons that you've learned through that like journey of building a sustainable career in the music industry that you've come across? Yeah. So when I started, it was just me um, and it was just me for the first few years. And so that was sort of the formative years of trying to figure out whether or not it was going to be something I was going to be able to keep doing. And I was lucky uh, as I finished high school and started Boomtown Records, I went and studied a uh, business degree at Victoria University. And during that time, I released a few records. And in the the first year out of uni, I managed to release a record by a band called Behind Crimson Eyes, which was quite successful and allowed me to essentially say, yeah, I think I can, I think I can pay the bills um, off this. And so at that point I was 20, I was living at home, very luckily able to continue to live at home. So I didn't have huge amounts of costs. Um, so that allowed me to really take that risk ultimately. Um, but in terms of like really growing and being able to turn the business to become sustainable, um, it was really investing in other people uh, and bringing people onto the team to allow me to grow the business. So it was almost like, to be sustainable, I had to almost like risk the sustainability of the business. 
Um, but that was what allowed me to, uh, yeah, to, to really grow. Like I, I remember the first hire that I made, um, of a person that wasn't like what I would call frontline. So they weren't like managing artists or doing marketing or essentially they weren't bringing money into the business. So 12 years ago, I hired Matt Rogers, who's our chief operating officer. Um, at the time he was general manager, but it was the first time I hired someone that was essentially in the background, looking after the nuts and bolts, making sure, you know, things were working properly. And that was the beginning of me really starting to appreciate just how important it is to have people essentially in your corner, helping you do things properly. You know, fast forward to today, Matt now has a team of over 20 people across legal, HR, finance, IT, marketing, operations, all the things that like most people don't see in the music business, but it's behind the scenes. So the people on the front line that are managing artists, marketing records, putting shows on sale, they can do their job and not have to worry about all that stuff. So I'd say like that was that that decision was one of the best decisions I made in terms of moving us towards sustainability. Yeah, amazing. That's um something I definitely resonate with myself. I'm like finding myself in my business at the stage where it's sort of like you have to like potentially sacrifice um, you know, the success of my sustainability to then, you know, bring on somebody else and then to set, to then see the whole company grow in a sustainable way. Um, so it's great to see that you've you've seen the flow and effects of that. I wanted to come back to um the key takeaway you well, I took from that in around um, uni and like actually having a degree I think it's very much a um, a big conversation in the music industry because there's a lot of successful people in the music industry that don't have degrees at all and then there's some that do and we're increasingly seeing more and more people come through the music industry that have bachelor degrees in exactly in entertainment management or in business like you have would you say that um, the business degree that you got is actually probably was really helpful in your career in building it sustainably? Look, I'll start by saying that I don't think that it's essential to have higher education to be in the music industry. Like I want to make that very clear um, because I think we need to acknowledge that not everyone has the opportunities to go and study uh, at university or, or at TAFE or even at high school in some cases. So I think it's important to acknowledge and it's important for me to acknowledge the privilege that I had to be able to um, not only live at home while I started a record label, but also was able to go to a university um, and, you know, not have to get a full-time job straight away to cover my, my costs. So um, I, I think that's a really important point that needs to be acknowledged. Um, but for me, what I got out of going to uni, um, I definitely learned a lot about business. Um, like, None of it's practical because you unless you're reading from textbooks, but like I, I learn the difference between macroeconomics and microeconomics, for example, something that I still think about a lot today, particularly in the current macroeconomic climate that the world is in. Um, I learn a lot about uh, business law and accounting and these sorts of things that are often under thought about in the music business and potentially why, you know, that Matt Rogers story is so, so relevant. Um, the other thing I got from it was I got a network. Uh, I got to meet like-minded people that were roughly my age that were interested in the same things or similar things. And a number of those people I still have in my network uh, and my friendship circles to this day. So that's something that I think is really important. 
in terms of people now studying, um, you know, when we're hiring um, new roles, you know, for me, if someone's studying, I see that as an indication that they're thinking about their career in the same way that I did. Um, they're going, they want to learn, they want to build a network and they want to be, they want to be amongst it so they can get, um, get, get a potentially get a job or, or find a way to launch a business. But I would never look at someone that's not studying and say, oh, that person's not, you know, right. Because they're, because they're not studying. So I think they're great, those courses. And I think they have their place, but I think that it's, um, it would be dangerous for us to think that the only way to hire someone is through those courses. Cause I think we would exclude a huge, huge amount of our population. And, and that's definitely not the way that you're going to build a, a strong business. Yeah, I completely agree. I think you are completely right in um, acknowledging the the privilege that comes with studying and also privilege that comes with um, being able to be at home and study. Um, that was something that I was very lucky to have myself. And I saw my peers around me had to extend their, their degree by multiple years because they didn't have the, the at-home support, um, whereas I was able to get mine accomplished. Um, but yeah, there is definitely a huge space in the music industry where, which we don't necessarily see across other industries where you don't have to be, you know, qualified in, in a traditional tertiary way, um, to be successful, which is a great, um, great value to the music industry, I think. And I think it's, um, we've seen a lot of people come through the woodwork through that and seen different successes, um, in both the music industry and startup world, which is great to see. <laughs> Um, yeah I wanted to throw to you a few questions well a question at least about the record label side of Unified um, there are a lot of well sorry there is a lot of talk about the necessity of record labels in today's music industry with apps like TikTok um, TikTok sorry blowing up musicians and into stardom and in home recording setups that sound like studio recordings where do you feel the space for record labels sits in this current music climate? And are they a necessity for the long-term career sustainability of a musician? Yeah, so the labels function has changed a lot since it launched. Um, I think labels started to appear around the 1940s when recorded music became a thing. Uh, you know, prior to that, we had music publishers who owned the songs and essentially sold sheet music uh, that would either be performed at concert halls or opera houses uh, or people would literally buy sheet music and take it home and play the piano to their family. Like that was the equivalent of buying the new Taylor Swift album and listening to it. Um, I'm so far. So when, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when labels launched, the first labels were producers. So they were the ones that were actually making the records, like literally making the records. Um, and that was where the idea of ownership came from, that the producer owned the record because they'd made it. Uh, and then they would help distribute it and market it, um, get records into stores, get onto the radio, put ads in print magazines, all this sort of stuff. The reason I'm using that those examples is because it talks about like really the control that the labels had because they controlled the um, like the the pipeline, the sort of um, the, the the workflow of, of the industry. And so up until you know the late '90s when you know CDs were dominating, like. They, the major labels particularly were the ones that were able to get your CD into the shop so someone could potentially buy it. So when Napster came along and started to really break that down and then iTunes launching in the early 2000s and Spotify in the early 2010s, 
we started to see the ability for music to be distributed globally um, with a click of a few buttons and relatively low cost. And then, like you said, add to this, um, you know, Pro Tools initially, but now everything from Splice to, um, you know, STL Tones and all these different products that can help you make music easier. Um, we've got this very democratized world now for how you make music where labels still provide tremendous value. Um, first and foremost is financing. Mm -hmm. um, your most of these outlets that we're talking about, including, you know, the social media platforms that are moving into this space. Some of them might now be giving artists, you know, advances and, and funding, but in most cases, the labels still largely control um, that place of, you know, an artist wants to make a record or do certain things, you know, a label is often a good home. Um, not the, not always the best home for every artist, but that's, that's, you know, one way. The other thing is marketing um, because it's one thing to have a song blow up on a social media platform and have some kind of traction that gets you, you know, millions of views or, or likes or followers or whichever platform you're operating on. It's another thing to build a career. It's another thing to be able to go to a town and sell 5,000 tickets and, you know, build a long-term sustainable business. And so that's not the only thing that a label does. That's there's a lot of other stakeholders that are participating in that kind of work, including the artist, um, especially managers, which is something I'm very passionate about. But labels do provide a very important marketing service. Um, you know, you look at a company like Universal Music, like they've got over 10,000 people on staff in like, I'm going to get it wrong, but I think it might be 80 countries or something, you know, like, you know, that's, and not saying that like every artist that signs to Universal Music gets access to those resources. The reality is they don't, yeah. but being a part of a global infrastructure like that, it's got to be more beneficial than just putting a song up yourself and hoping for the best. So yeah. um, I think for as long as I can see into the future, the labels will continue to have a place. I think what's happening though is as more and more types of artists emerge, we're seeing that labels are probably, the major labels are more and more geared towards, you know, pop music um, mm -hmm. or, or music that can be globally popular. Because we're also now seeing this explosion of pop music that's not just coming from America and England. You know, we're seeing, uh, you know, Latin music and K-pop, um, like, really transcending globally and from what i'm being told like um you know indian and bollywood music you know is going to be the next um you know real explosion that's going to happen and so once again universal having all their staff in all their countries are going to be able to help amplify that but if you're a bedroom artist that doesn't need radio and doesn't need all a bunch of these services maybe working directly with um with, a, with TuneCore or Ditto or something like that might be good. Or maybe it's signing to a really cool indie label that has a community. If we look at something like Australia, like a label like IOU, who has that real like indie, you know, cred that sort of helps break certain types of artists or our UNFD label, which is very like heavily focused on like emo and hardcore and metalcore, like a band those that they can tap into a community through that. So um, there's a longish answer there, obviously. Um, but I think that, yeah, ultimately it comes down to financing and uh and marketing i think is the two key offerings that labels are going to uh continue to play an important role in yeah i tend to agree with you there and i think 
um, that is something that musicians are not necessarily seeing when they're considering, you know, whether they want to start pitching to record labels or, or trying to impress record labels more so is what I should say, um, because they they see that the biggest value is money because that is the, the biggest one in front of their face um, because they've had to invest so much money into um, their careers. But when it comes down to actually marketing the, the project sustainably in a way that can actually, you know, give them the, the opportunity to go full-time in their music career. It's, um, it's, you know, companies like record labels that can actually help influence and, and direct that, um, that project in the right direction. And I wanted to sort of throw the question to you when we're looking at that um, marketing perspective and also linking that with trying to connect with new artists that are, um, you know, have the potential to grow within a record label. Do you see that there is much of a correlation at the moment between those like trending TikToks and things like that, that are, you know, blowing up these artists quicker? Um, do you see that there's much of a correlation between those TikTok artists getting um, signed and having the potential of a sustainable career over the artists that are not necessarily going viral, do do you think viral is a success is the key to success for you know achieving a new record label deal at the moment? I think it's definitely something that um, certain labels are looking at more than others, for sure. Um, I think like the narrative sort of continues to shift. I think like Halsey did a pretty good job of like bringing uh, this topic to the forefront about a year ago, where I think Halsey said that. Uh, their label wouldn't put out a song unless it was on TikTok or something like that. Yeah. And so I think then just recently, um, I think Rob Stringer, who runs Sony globally, you know, got on the front foot about that topic and said, you know, we're not just a TikTok factory or something like that. So I think like we definitely need to give everyone a little bit more credit. Um, that said, the labels love this stuff. They love going, oh, all right. So you've got 10 million followers and you've done this. Yeah, let's have a conversation. That's way more compelling to them than like Jazz in her bedroom with like this awesome record that hasn't had any traction yet. Yeah. Um, but, and things will change and evolve, but like we're not, it's, we still haven't seen a lot of, we haven't seen many of those one-off songs turn into what look like are going to be careers. What we're seeing is more success from existing catalog songs that are having moments and reaching new audiences that way. Um, but yeah, so I think, I think, yeah, the labels, the labels love it. Um, yeah. and it is a thing, but I also, I don't think that, I don't think artists on mass should change the way they do things just to try to fit into that groove. Cause unless it's you and unless it's real, uh, it might work once, but it's not going to be real. We, we listen to artists, our favorite artists are real. Like they're not, they're not pretending and anyone that's pretending doesn't last, doesn't go, go, go the, go the, what's the terminology, you know, go the hundred miles or whatever it is. Yeah. I, um, I think we're definitely starting to see that as well in that, like the, there are artists that will blow up virally once, maybe twice, but then the, um, if that's what they're known for, um, they A, are stuck in the shadow of that one song um, and then B, they are seemingly trying to keep up with creating music that links in with that. And you're right, like 
if it's not genuine and that that music doesn't come from a space of um like the the musician's genuine um interest and what they're actually net like naturally and natively um recording then it, it doesn't sell and people can tell <laughs> yeah um yeah. I want to throw to you the artist management side of things um, and the day to day, because that's my background. But obviously, as you said before, it really does interest you. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges you face as an artist management artist manager currently? Um, so I am lucky enough to work with some really amazing artists um, and work with some amazing teams. Uh, like I, for starters, get to manage Vance Joy with my wife, Rachel. Um, and I'm very lucky because Rachel, um, does most of the work. Um, <laughs> she's much smarter and much more capable than I am. Um, but we talk a lot about like, we've been managing Vance Joy together for over 10 years. Um, and prior to that, we had both been managers for, you know, a number of years. The, probably the biggest challenges for a manager is that just the work load continues to increase. Um, not necessarily the hours, although that does happen as well, but it's just more the the responsibilities just continue to to pile up. So you're expected to be an expert in, in so many things because ultimately the more expectations there are of the artist, the more expectations there are of the manager. So I think, yeah, one of the challenges is just sort of like for being a little vulnerable, it's like actually just kind of keeping up, mm-hmm. you know, like trying to keep up with, what's going on with, you know, of course, social media and content expectations. Um, you know, the the current cost of touring, um, both domestically here in Australia, but globally, um, you know, there's all this stuff about the US visa in prices increasing. Um, it's getting really hard. We're lucky with an artist like Vance who's established globally, but for, you know, new developing acts, it's, it's getting really expensive um, and, to to make these investments in like overseas markets is um you know in some cases starting to just become borderline like well they never some artists will just never make that money back so what's the point um so that's a big challenge um i think the other challenge that we've got as an industry uh particularly with new artists is it's getting harder and harder to get new artists uh music heard uh i think that where um you know firstly there's a a lot of the music that's being released every day. Um, but there's also a lot of other ways that people uh, can spend their time, whether they're gaming or watching TV or, or, or film or um, yeah, watching content on other social platforms or I don't know, walking the dog or like doing, doing things that don't involve the internet maybe. Um, but yeah, music is getting, it's getting harder and harder to cut through. So I think that's like a, that's not just a management challenge. So that's a, probably an existential crisis potentially for the entire industry um (laughs) so yeah i could go on but yeah the 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 base the the truth is yeah managers are you know they they work very hard they're at the front line um with the artists and they are 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 expected to know a lot and expected to deliver a, a lot um but you know the flip side is it's an incredibly rewarding job and one that I'm, you know, really grateful and proud to do. Yeah, I um very much resonate with that. The I read an article recently or last year that uh, summed up artist management in that 
um, explaining that the artist manager is sometimes the most underqualified person in the room, but has to pretend as though they're the most qualified person in the room. <laughs> and yeah. I just like I was like, that is so true because our artists come to us and you know want to know and, and need to know um, the realities of certain things like touring and um, like the social media landscape and what is working and what's not. And if we don't have those answers, it makes it really hard to fill them with confidence that the money that we're telling them we need to spend is the right space to be spending in, um, let alone like squashing their fears of, um, you know, wh whether I should do this TikTok or this reel. Um, and I think that is definitely set, like seen across the board, whether you're working with new and emerging artists like myself or working with global artists like um, yourself in that um, trying to have all of the knowledge is very difficult. <laughs> it is, yeah. And that's where it comes back to my original point about uh, investing in, you know, the team around you and having experts. So, you know, um, you kind of know where your line is as well, because the last thing you want to be doing is providing bad advice. You want to be able to call on a lawyer or a insurance broker or a tax specialist or a tool manager or you know all these various people so you can help um but that, and that's ultimately the, the manager's job to to coordinate all of those things yeah exactly and i think it's also um finding value in that management uh, relationship as well where it's you're fostering the manager learning those sorts of things and and you know building um their networks and their teams in in a way um to have that knowledge but then also helping the musician to find a space where they can feel empowered with educating themselves as well um it's definitely something that I've been trying to implement in um my business this year is like okay if you're not going to a show and um you know you can't make shows and network with people that month you know is there something else that you can be doing to be building this band or this this um your career and, and as a whole and it's like okay well how about you learn something and it's really interesting particularly around at the moment playlisting because there is so much of a gray area for musicians about playlisting and what's good and what's not and it's, it's the same narrative about social media realistically um I've, I've really found that once they became became more educated in playlisting, um, they their confidence in meetings was um, yin and yang almost. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. When I want to throw it directly back to the artist now, um, what do you feel artists should do to invest in building their audiences at the moment? There's a lot of talk about what they call first party data, which is. Uh, ultimately having direct relationships with your audiences so that's email lists you know text lists uh, because the reality is like all of our likes and followers and all that uh they we don't own them they're owned by the, the platforms that they're on and so not that like facebook's going to go away or anything like that but you know it costs a lot of money to reach your audience on facebook through ads right um and there's obviously a place for that and facebook you know provided an incredible platform for artists to reach huge audiences but yeah having the ability to speak directly to your audience through platforms like yeah email text discord um you know these various things i think are really helpful 
uh, a different artist working different ways on different platforms. Um, but yeah, I think that's really a really important part of, of this. Um, and it can happen on the ground as well. Um, we have Vance Joy currently touring in North America and the support act is Jack Botts, who's a, a young uh, singer songwriter who Unified works with. And uh, the second Jack hits his last chord, he puts his guitar down and runs straight to the merch stand um, and stands there and talks to whoever will talk to him until Vance Joy goes on stage. And he then goes into the audience and watches Vance Joy play and hopefully someone recognizes him and he talks to them. And then as soon as Vance Joy finishes, he goes back to the merch desk and essentially every single night he's not just there to play the gig. He's there to try to convert, you know, even 10 people, um, you know, so I think like, how do we fight? Not everyone's going to be able to do that every night of the week. That's not always sustainable. Um, but yeah, how do we build those direct relationships with fans? I think is, you know, an area where only artists can really do as well. And yeah. even if we do pivot, pivot back to social media, like, uh, once again, everyone uses it differently, but it's like you and I can't really sit there replying to fans on, on social. Um, maybe we could reply to DMs where there's specific requests about tickets or merch questions or something like that. But like, and I'm not saying every artist should do this and, you know, most artists probably shouldn't, but if you do have a direct interest in this stuff, like building one-on-one -on -one audience connections, yeah, can be very, very rewarding. Yeah, definitely. And I think we're definitely seeing a, the, the switch back into that again from a from both perspectives of you know the the audience is craving that because there's such an overabundance of content that they can um, consume and if they feel special because they've gotten a, a text or an email directly from the artist then it it, it sucks them in and, and once the they want to invest more and become you know those top fans and things like that um, but then we also see as you said like we actually can own those contacts and and instead of you know those platforms owning those followers or those likes and things like that um and i think we're also seeing a bit of a, a shift or a, a maybe a, a good case example at the moment of the value in that ownership in spaces like people that have in you know in, invested their years and years of their career in investing in tiktok in sorry twitter and um, now we're, we're seeing the shift of, you know, people coming off that platform and all those people that have been, been investing in it going, hang on, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and they're like, hang on, this isn't going to work for us. Um, and seeing that, you know, that their reach is now not as um, valuable as it, as it once was. So having that ownership of um, those contacts is, yeah, really eye-opening at the moment and, and very much a... Um, a very relevant part of the conversation. Um, I wanted to throw actually to you, uh, there's been a lot of conversation recently that I've had with people about the value between Discord or email marketing or um, texting. And I've definitely seen across the world and people that I talk with, like in the US, texting is actually a lot more pre like prevalent as a marketing tool than it is in Australia. Um, what are you finding is actually, but like, becoming the best value for money at the moment. Yeah, well, texting is a weird one because like, you know, it's not uncommon to get, you know, a lot of emails, right? It's not uncommon to get uh, like from a marketing perspective, maybe check your email at the end of the day and there's like a bunch of newsletters from different stores or mm. hotels or places you've been. 
but a text is really personal. So usually you're getting a text from your friend or your partner or your family member. Um, and so when you get a text that's about something, you, a marketing thing you don't want, that's really freaking annoying. Yeah. Um, but when you get a text about something that you want to know about, like that's exciting. Like if you got a text from, a, whether it's from Vance Joy or it's about Vance Joy and it's in relation to a tour or it's marketing 101. If, if, if you're hearing about something that you actually want to hear about, like that's like a win. So if you could carefully curate a SMS list or a text list, sorry, um, that's really powerful. Um, in terms of like cost effective, I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, like what costs what. Um, but I think like, even if you're a, a small local band and you've built a, an audience, um, being able to let people know when you've got gigs on, I think is really powerful. And then the newsletter, is a way to um you know further market but also further express yourself i think people often use the nick cave newsletter example i don't know if you have seen his newsletter um, it's called the red hand files uh he sends one out every week and he essentially uh fans sending questions and he he responds and publishes it into the newsletter so um you know he tragically had uh, had lost his son recently and so he's been writing a lot about that because a lot of people are asking questions about that but like it's this like really amazing way that like it's never like hey buy these tickets or uh buy this t-shirt it's like like uh you know read this and and i'll bear my soul to you kind of thing yeah. and so that's like that's on brand for nick cave um mm. and it could be you could you could find other ways to do stuff like that um so I think it's a way for uh, for artists to yeah just show their personality. Uh, as for Discord, you know that's that's one where I think the artist needs to be, or at least someone on the team needs to be very active. Um, Discord is something that moves really fast. I think if like a, an active server needs to be active, so I think like you can't just you couldn't just set it up and hope for the best. You would need like people to be on the front foot with that. So I think once again it like all these things, it comes down to what, you know, what works for the artist. And there's going to be very few artists that like all of these things work for because there's probably just not enough hours in the day as well. Yes, that's exactly right. Not enough hours, not enough content as well, because I've definitely yeah. seen, um, you know, friends of mine who have bands that have really utilized email marketing really well around release periods where you, you know, if, if you're not on the mailing list on social media, you see the music, you see the music video, that's what you're getting for it. And then when you're on the mailing list, there's like this curated artwork and there's this video from the music musician and, um, you know, the behind the scenes of the music video, that sort of thing. And it's like giving people extra content, but that's really hard to maintain the longevity of that. Um, particularly with like the already high demands of like posting across all other social platforms. Um, yeah. And then also those social platforms wanting to also try and actively engage you in those sorts of things. Like we have seen Facebook recently take whole Facebook groups and try and place them into Facebook Messenger. <laughs> that was yeah. lightning to watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, you know, for, for some people that jumped on that and saw the value in it, there's, you know, there is a space there where you can create that one-on-one -on -one, um, connection, but it really does come back down to that whole concept again and that consideration of like, 
does that actually align with the brand of the music? Because if your brand is to not be super open all the time, then a Facebook messenger chat or a, um, a discord channel is not necessarily going to be the best space for you to, to be investing in. Great. I want to ask what was one key element of the music industry that you feel that musicians most underutilize um, in the music industry at the moment? Uh, wow, that's a good question. Um, I think there's, it's pretty hard to get specific on something like that, but maybe we could, I could just reframe it more in a line of where I think some of the bigger opportunities are. Um, like if we look at Australia in particular, like um, if you're a touring artist, um, regional touring, mm-hmm. um, I think it's something that we've been passionate about for a long time as a company and you know, a lot more artists are touring regionally now, but uh, I think that's just like a massive opportunity. I think we've got, there's more venues out there than ever. I think you know, thanks to the pandemic, a lot more people are living in smaller towns. So I think there's a lot more appetite for music. So I think if you're willing to get on the road and do the work, I think there's some really great audience building that be, that can be done out there. Um, I think like, like, how do I say it without sounding like sort of like just making more music, like making and releasing more music, like not in a sense of like just churning it out or any crap like that, like make good music, but like in a way, like don't overthink it. Like, um, like unless it's absolutely terrible, it's not going to set you back. Um, so there's plenty of artists that do release music regularly, but there's also, I think a lot of artists that really sit there and tinker on things for a very long time. And the reality is like very few people are going to hear it anyway. So why not just get going and, and get, and, and start releasing this music so people can start to hear, hear what you're up to. And you can also then get feedback mm-hmm. and not, you know, like sending out a survey or anything like that, but you'll, you'll know if people like it, they'll stream it. They'll, they'll, they'll message you. They'll, 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 uh, and equally you'll know if they don't like it because no one will listen to it. Um, yeah. So uh, I think like being able to yeah, release music regularly is going to allow you to sort of understand uh, what kind of music you like releasing, what kind of people, what kind of people want to listen to your music. Um, and that will then help lead on to other things like, like touring, uh, like I mentioned. So I think, yeah, those two, I think have, yeah, just, uh, I could, yeah, there's a lot more I could go into, but I think that's a good start. Yeah, definitely. I think coming from a new and emerging like space or artist manager, um, who works with new and emerging artists, I always have in my mind that it's sort of a bit of a, a run to the second EP, um, in that we, I I'm always trying to find different ways to build the artist career all the way up to the second EP because it doesn't really feel like their career really properly starts to build until we're past that because we don't see, um, and, you know, across that one one to two EP space in their careers, we, we don't, like, they're, they're still learning their sound, they're still getting the feedback, we're, we're still trying to figure out what exactly that brand is for the the band and it it really feels like once you hit that second EP currently at least um, or multiple singles through that you actually see the artists really sit within their music and know what they want and then it becomes easier as an artist manager for me to be like 
hey, here is this package that is awesome. And here's some wins that we've had of people showing us that it is awesome as well. This is how we can run with it. Um, so at the moment, it's, it, you know, for me as a strategy of, as an artist manager that works with mu musicians from the very first song that they release, it's really interesting to see across releases how much their music changes. So I completely agree with trying to like consistently release music and, and try and find your sound because um, it also links in with like the brand that a musician will find um, and and how they can then sell that to other people in the music industry um, to help build a sustainable career. Um, but I think, yeah, you, you came back to a really uh, important point of like touring and um, I, for me, I feel like utilizing certain platforms like social media is um, really important in building a career at the moment. And it's really interesting to see what's actually worthwhile money-wise and what you can tap into. I think we're really lucky in Victoria where um, there are, like when we're looking at touring regionally in particular, there are um, youth organisations like Freezer who can connect you to like full touring runs um, regionally and you can connect in with youth, which is also another really great aspect in music careers to be connecting in with. I'm sure you, you would agree. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah, really interesting when you're putting on a, a regional um, youth-led um, tour to see what your audience is saying and also what the, the musician is actually getting an experience of because those regional tours are a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, Freeze is a great call. Like, I that was actually where I kind of, got my start in a lot of ways like being a part of my local freezer committee like when I was like 14 15 years old um yeah it's an incredible resource and the push as well obviously which is based in Melbourne and they just announced their regional uh all ages tour um so yeah I, I think it's it's a great great uh resource for for all of us mm, definitely um, well, the last question for our episode today, and it's one that I ask every person that comes on the podcast, when you're 90 years old and in a retirement home and wanting to brag to your room neighbour about what you did during your long life, what would you like to be able to say to them in a sum up? Uh, well, I guess this is a business podcast, so you probably want me to talk about the business side of that. It can actually um, be whatever. <laughs> yeah, Which I love well, like, the, answers, the answers that I get back from this. Actually, it's really fascinating. <laughs> on a personal level, you know, I, I hope. Um, yeah, I I had a, a very very long lasting you know relationship with my wife Rachel and uh, our dog Mr Bojangles and Romeo uh, and cat Romeo hopefully are still alive, um, but unfortunately I don't think those animals will live that long, but. Um, yeah, hopefully I've had a very full life with with my wife and 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 our animals. Um, from a business point of view, like I'd I'd like I, I already say this on a regular basis. I'd like to leave the industry in a better place than I found it. Uh, and when I got into the industry, it took me quite a few years to realize what the industry was. But it was um, it was very disorganized. It was very um, the power imbalances were way off. Um, there was way too many men in power. Uh, there was way too many drugs. Um, there was way too little regard for uh, safety of um, 
particularly women uh, and you know gender non-conforming people. Um, so I'd like to be able to look back and say that somehow uh, the work that I've done and the and the business that I built has made a difference and yeah, essentially left the industry in a better place than I found it. That's fantastic. That's a great space to be um, wanting to build in the music industry and a really great motivator, I think, to um, be building a sustainable career and a sustainable business within the music industry. So um, thank you so much for your time today, Jad. And it was lovely to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. It was great to see you and yeah, I appreciate the opportunity.